parents love their children. You just love your kids in a way that you feel is beneficial to them. And it's incredible just how both parents complement that love. Risk-taking, it's good to push your kid. I love telling people, let's just go to the park and let's just sit there and watch and listen to the language of what the moms and dads say to their children. It's always, honey, careful, careful, careful. And the dads are always like, wonder if he's going to make it. Welcome to Why Daddy Never Cries podcast with your host, Chuck Kelleher. At Why Daddy Never Cries, we'll explore the lives surrounding daddies, their children, divorce, and silent domestic violence. We'll hear real-life horror stories from unsung heroes fighting for the ability to stay in their children's lives. We'll get those voices heard and hopefully find solutions before you lunatics burn the whole place to the ground. Hang in there, daddies. Chuck's here. Chuck Kelleher and Why Daddy Never Cries are providing this podcast as a public service. I've known Chuck for 45 years, and he's neither a lawyer nor a mental health professional. He's not a doctor nor a rogue scholar by any stretch of the imagination. Chuck is simply a guy who's lived in hell for 20 years. Once he found a way out, he drew a map to help others navigate their own way home. The views and opinions expressed by Why Daddy Never Cries employees or our guests are their own. Guest appearance on the program do not imply an endorsement of them their opinions, or any entity they represent. And please, for the love of God, if you have any questions or fears about unique circumstances, please contact a lawyer, a religious leader of your choice, or a medical professional in your area. Don't fuck this up, brothers, because we're all in this together. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Voss G2, for helping small and medium-sized businesses elevate their brand perception with design. Take your brand to the next level at VossG2.com. We'd also like to thank Harry Duran, and his team at Fullcast for their amazing assistance. If you're planning a podcast and you haven't contacted Fullcast, you might as well call your show Podfade. All right, how's everyone doing? Today we're talking with Hennish Chohan, the founder of Decent Divorce Dads. And man, if you need some inspiration, you've come to the right place. I want you to think about this while listening to today's show. I am daddy. I've got this. You are daddy. You've got this. Every single person has come here today on a different road. All our lives are unique. Therefore, we cannot copy someone else's path. Our missions are the same. Stay in our children's lives and raise a tremendous next generation. But first things first, you're going to need to learn how to master yourself or don't let the distractions from your nightmare stop you from becoming who you need to be. Hennish teaches us techniques for remaining calm during stressful situations. He's also going to show you not five, but six ways that you can claim a win on your road for getting over your nightmare. By the end of this episode, Hennish will have shown you the first steps towards reclaiming your life after divorce. In a world where headlines scream for attention, we choose to listen to the whispers that hold the true revelations. All right, let's get into this. Hennish, welcome to the Why Daddy Never Cries podcast. How are we doing, brother? Thanks, Chuck. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm doing well, despite a, a bit of a shaky start this morning with some software challenges that had Oof. my Zoom crap out on me and not have any participants join. I solved that. The day went on. So good now. Always when you're trying to get something done, right? Always, always. Especially I was gone for five days. I was actually in New Jersey, in your neck of the woods, five days and came back very late last night and had to start looking. I just turned my emails off. I didn't look at anything. So 
fact-based reality this morning with all those hiccups. So made for an interesting day. It's funny. I reached out to you yesterday and other podcasters will know this as well and you have as a content creator, but my microphone wasn't working. So I reached out to Hennis. I'm like, hey, yeah, you had the same problem. Uh, what'd you do? What'd you do? And then I looked, oh, I hadn't plugged it in. It was user error. <laughs> Is that what it was? <laughs> you just mentioned it was a user error. I didn't. That's a good one. <laughs> so where are we calling home these days? Ottawa, Ottawa, Canada. Born and raised? I was born in Southern Ontario. So in a city called Cambridge and moved to Ottawa when I was three. So essentially spent most of my life here. Well, jaunts here and there outside and around Canada, but mostly here. Nice. Family up there now? They are. My parents are in the same suburb. They live a 10 minute drive away in the house I grew up in, which is, which is nice. It's cute. Oh, that's nice. You know, my parents took off to South Carolina as soon as we all moved out of the house. Okay. <laughs> Better weather. You know what? It was also shortly after 9-11. My father and I both worked down at the Trade Center. So we kind of all left New York for a little while and then came back. Wow. That must have been sobering. It was a long couple of decades. Yeah. Wow. I, I can say five years ago, maybe, is about when I could start turning on the TV in September and hearing about it. I still haven't watched any documentaries. I'm just, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I've got lots to say around that and many things related to that. And I've done an insane amount of research. My questions, why, 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 follow the money and just to understand why some decisions are made, why some things that were explained to be, which may not have been accurate, are the story that I told, the, the narrative and, and understanding that. So it, it's disillusioning, especially as a soldier. And and fighting the good fight for what we're told, and then becoming educated, because you really have to ask questions, you need to dig into it. And especially as a parent, as a parent, I, I want to speak truth, I want to get to the nugget of cause the genesis of everything. And I, my friends on the right call me, you know, a lefty or a commie, my friends on the left call me a dirty capitalist and other stuff. Same. Like, I'm neither stop it. Like, don't label me. I'm simply a truth seeker. And that may land me in the center. Call me a fiscal conservative, social liberal. I'm none of that. Don't give me a label. I just seek truth. And something that blew me away in our last election, the party that came into power or that remained in power, had a background in economics and engineering. And I very well read and I studied their campaigns and I studied their platforms. It, and the opposite party, the opposition, which was the Conservative Party, had over my entire life the best platform, the best plans for long-term economic growth I've ever read for any country. And it was recognized, which was a shame because it was absolutely beautiful, solid. It really looked at Canadians' interests in the short run, medium, and long term. And I don't think that ever really was discussed in, in media. Wow. And even for, say, my parents, my parents are hardcore liberals and they voted as they voted. And I asked my dad, who's a very intelligent man, if he had really looked into anything. And he said, no. And I just bowed my head with discontent or disappointment and realized the majority of the world's like that. No one does their due diligence. It's doing what's simple, what's fed at us. Everyone takes it for granted and makes decisions accordingly. 
Yeah. That's it. And that's my, my motto for decent divorced dads is to lead with integrity because that's what I found or that's what I was getting frustrated with it in my professional life is that people weren't making decisions based on what's best for Canadians. That is in the federal government or in business. They didn't have that honor in, in looking to serve people and provide a solution and get paid based on the value provided others. It was, what can I say to make this sale happen? What can I do to just make the people work without looking at the benefit for of people? So that's my my MO is to, to serve with integrity. And now with no accountability, people are just saying what they want and doing what they want. And that's the end of it. I just want to circle back around again, because you mentioned you served in the military and something I find fascinating. I don't know anything about, but I know the audience will find fascinating. And I'm just going to say a couple of words. Database for landmines? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, actually. Land of you on the cover of a magazine, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of different types of landmines and understanding what they do, they are. Well, hold on. So that the audience knows. What did you do? Let me back that up. So I, I was a combat engineer. So combat engineers are at the front line with the infantry and the armored. And their role is to help friendly forces live, move, and fight on the battlefield and deny the enemy the same. So basically, we're the problem solvers, but we're also the guys that build the bridges, but blow them up. So working with explosives and, and clearing landmines and IEDs was all part of my job. Right. And I got the opportunity to not only be the chief instructor for mine warfare at the Canadian Forces School of Military Engineering, but then that led me to a gig at our National Defense Headquarters developing intelligence-related materials for landmines. In Canada, we're developing a landmine database, which was the most comprehensive cluster of knowledge on landmines and what they were, who made them, what they look like, how to neutralize, disarm them. And I was creating a database that had hundreds of entries and it was being used by the U.S. and other NATO countries until an organization in the U.K. that is a private company and sells related intelligence material accused us or accused me of plagiarizing an image, which wasn't the case. I, all my stuff was open source or images I took of landmines we had in stock. And our legal department just shut us down, just didn't want to deal with it, didn't want to fight it, just said, no, this is a risk to to reputation or a liability. So it was shut down. So years of work went down the drain. Just because they didn't want to stand by their man. Yeah. Yeah. But and that's the case. In other work I did in the government, there are many times where I was dealing with stakeholders and where we were in the right. And it was easier to just not easier. It's because it is a complex game where reputation plays a big part in how the government's perceived. And so anytime there's any sort of negative perception, the immediate reaction is just to shut it down or to give them what they wanted. So a lot of my career has spent fighting for what was right for Canadians to get them value for money. That would be another 10 separate podcasts of just examples, breaking it down how I had to deal with the stakeholders and push our legal department and senior management at the even to political level saying, no, this is what needs to, to be fought. You mentioned that the theme of your life is helping people, I'm paraphrasing, how we can support the government and do things more efficiently, but also get men the support they need. Yeah. What I realized is governments become bloated and inefficient because there's more eyes on it. 
that whole yes factor or we'll just bow to any pressure, the amount of reporting and measuring and, and going after things that don't really matter because we've got the, the noise from the fringes of society creates a lot of wasteful energy. And when you look at investments that are made and what return on investment you really get from tax dollars, it becomes really frustrating to wake up day and day and spin the wheels to get marginal returns. So looking at society, and especially when I started for what I've seen for after my brother committed suicide and trying to understand how that came to be and looking at the stats for men, I was effing flabbergasted. Stats are are meaningful because then you have to start asking your questions. Why is this? And it's is it a lack of resources. That's one thing. Is it societal pressures or culture because men don't go out and ask for the help that they need? Yeah, all of that. Yeah. So what do you have to do? You have to put it on a silver platter. You have to bring awareness to it. You've got to bring the spotlight on on this inequality because it's there's a lot of talk of, you know, there's more men CEOs. There's more men in these roles where the women, maybe the women don't want it because they, they do a better job at finding quality of life. And we don't talk about men's addiction rates. We don't talk about men's suicide rate. We don't talk about homelessness. Why? No one ever. You don't hear in the media, also, hey, there's yep. only 2% of, and I'm just making up numbers here. It's stuff I've looked at. I've probably got a sheet somewhere here with all these stats. Actually, I do somewhere. But the rate of homelessness for women is, compared to men is disproportionate in obscene, obscene way. So it's... yeah. It's not right. And that lack of support is detrimental to our kids, which is ultimately what I I preach to my clients on the coaching side, the divorced dad clients is focus on the long game, focus on what's best for your kids and work to develop a healthy co-parenting relationship. Because if you're not side by side serving your kids and your energy is taken up trying to fight for ego or for an extra, you know, hundred bucks a month or whatever for something in the grand scheme of things doesn't really matter. It's only the kids that lose. So creating that balance and looking at the benefits of having dads in the lives of their children, the stats for that are also quite telling. The children raised in a single father household have the same rate of success as a child raised in a double parent household. A child or children raised by a single mother household have about a 25% rate of success to that double parent household. Have they done any research on why that's the case? Yes, there is. Um, and I've... Conflicting? Um, no, no. It's it's. Um, there's a lot out there. What I boil it down to in just simple points is two things, risk and structure. Dads teach risk-taking, which gives you courage, confidence, and self, and all these things. And the structure of no means no, right? Moms are very loving and nurturing. I have a greater tendency to roll over and give a child what they need in the moment. But dad's generally able to say, nope, not now, or no, you have to do this, or come on, let's go help me with this. <laughs> let's go camping and chop down this tree, right? And mom's going to be like, oh, no, you know what? If it's hard, you don't need to. And of course, these are generalizations. That is what I boiled or took away from, from all these studies. Because what I try to do is just distill it so that I know how to apply that for my parenting and for the people who my coach is. Why does this matter to you and what do you need to think about? 
risk-taking, it's good to push your kids. I love telling people, let's let's just go to the park and let's just sit there and watch and listen to the language of what the moms and dads say to their children. It's always, honey, careful, careful, careful. And the dads are always like, wonder if he's going to make it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it's it's incredible just how both parents complement that love because parents love their children and whether they know how to do it in a healthy way or not, you just, you don't know what you don't know. So you just, you just love your kids in a way that you feel is beneficial to them. And I, I love that experiment. I'd encourage anyone that's listening to go out and watch, just watch them and even go to a mall, go to a mall and listen to kids talking with their parents and what that dialogue is between the mom and the child and the dad and the child. It's fascinating. You just get more no, you're not getting that ice cream. My wife and I just had that same conversation with our little ones yesterday. Okay. I'm like, maybe it's the bass in my voice. I don't know. I'm not yelling at them, but they, they listen when I say go. They question you when you say go. Yeah. And it's the same with animals. Animals will listen to a person that has a deeper voice. And generally, men have deeper voices than women. So same applies to kids. We're, we're all animals. We're all animals. We're just looking for love and connection and security. You're right. We're, we are all animals and we're very similar in a lot of different ways. I love dogs and I had 15 years allergy shots just so I could have a dog. So that's how much I really love dogs. Right. And I noticed the pattern even before I had kids, how you could train a puppy and a child the same way, which led me to believe, oh, that's probably why we domesticated dogs because it's a similar training. Well, just look at the way we're born, right? Majority of mammals birth us the same way. You want milk, you need security, you need shelter, and you need love. Mm-hmm. And if you just sustain that, that's it. Yeah. But then what does that look like? I made a recent post because I'm trying to create things that benefit people. I don't want to compromise on any of my initiatives. So I'm driving down to Long Beach, New Jersey from Ottawa. It's a nine, 10 hour drive. I have definitely too much on my plate. And you tend towards anxiety. You're just fearful of everything that you're not getting done as opposed to taking that time to appreciate what you have done and celebrate that and have that, oh shit, I'm doing so well. I did this, 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 this week. Instead of thinking, oh no, I still have all this to do and my lists are not getting crossed off. So the first half of that drive was just you know, punishing with the self-talk and me trying to get out of this and realizing I'm going to fall further behind as I'm away on this conference. And then I had this vision, and maybe it was from a meme I read or something in my subconscious popped up. It was picturing a four-year-old with a cape and a superhero costume. All of a sudden, that the feeling that kid had just hit me. I'm like, I need to recreate that feeling. And then another thought came in my head, which was from the show How I Met Your Mother, Barney Stinson. So <laughs> he's got a great saying. It's like, when I'm feeling sad, I just stop feeling sad. And I start being awesome. It is that simple. You, we're responsible for our own feelings and values create beliefs that create feelings that create actions. So to have the belief that you're awesome allows you to feel awesome. But then you have to go back to the values, like the value. If you grow up in a critical household where you're always being told to try harder, work harder, instead of celebrating, wow, you work hard because a child benefits from being told not that they're smart, but that they're able to work hard. And again, lots of studies backing this up and the benefits to kids that they believe that they can do anything and will do anything because they they were celebrated for working hard. 
And they could be the dumbest kid. You take that kid with the highest IQ who's told he's intelligent and brilliant, they'll fall flat on their face the minute they face anything hard because they just don't have that same belief in the values that was instilled in them. The value of just try again, try again. When I, my kids fall on their face, it's like, <laughs> I try not to laugh at them, but it's hard not to. And then having that, you know, of course, are you okay? You know, let's first do the first aid and make sure you're okay. I'm not as evil as that sounds because like, I'm just picturing people listening to this thinking, wow, what a dick, you know, a kid falls, scrapes their knee and is, <laughs> is horrible. But it's, what did you learn from that? Well, I learned that I should tie my shoelaces better next time. I'm like, okay, but it's, everything's a lesson. And I've tried to create that with my kids and for myself, that's something I'm, I'm constantly trying to repair. Two quotes that I've heard you say that I liked a lot. One was the reclaim your life, but we'll get into that later. That sold me when I first heard you say that, but lead with integrity. How do you mean that when it comes to with your kids, yourself, with your now ex-spouse? Wow, Chuck, that's a good question. My ex-wife, who is a good mother, and as of last year now, lives one street over. Right before this chat, my son stopped by and he hung out for like 45 minutes. And That's awesome. It, it is so awesome. And I know my daughter is babysitting the neighbor's kid tomorrow. She'll stop in tomorrow. So it's just great that they can they can grab what they want. Yeah, 100%. That makes life a lot better. It does. It's just, it's less stress. Although we do have a really good co-parenting relationship. And I, I do have to you know tip my hat to her for that. But it was her decision to leave. And it, it really kicked my ass. For many other dads out there, they can relate to their entire future being blown up, everything that they were working to build together, the vision they had with the kids, not seeing their kids every day, losing who you thought was your lifelong partner, it all goes to shit. And so I took a lot of time to just sit with that and think, what was my role in bringing this to fruition? And at first it was anger, denial, all the stages of processing that with finger pointing in my head. I don't think either of us openly bashed anyone. It was very civil. Our parents, you know, the grandparents were told to just focus on the kids and not take sides, which they've done a really good job of doing. And that was that moment where it's like, I need to take the higher road because I just don't want anything to impact my kid. So it was leading with integrity, leading myself with integrity. So that's where it starts. To be able to be a good leader, you need to be able to lead yourself. So it meant taking care of myself so I could take care of my children. It meant having groceries in the fridge, a meal plan. It meant laundry was done. It meant activities were planned for the weekend so we can maximize our time and have fun and do meaningful stuff. They don't spend time in front of screens. We're we're a very active family. And so it, it meant being honorable and doing the right things, saying the right things in front of the kids, never saying anything even in a roundabout way that bashed their mother. And looking to always be ready to provide financially. There's no one else I can blame or count on because blaming anyone or having resentment only hurts me. It's it's like that saying of drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. That's what anger and resentment is. So being able to overcome that, which wasn't easy. I, I say this quite simply, but it took years for me to overcome that. But it was always doing what was best for the kids and making sure that they had what they needed when they went to their moms and being able to make sure she knew what was going on even now. If I notice something with the kids, I'll, I'll book time with them. I'm like, hey, can we spend some time this week talking about the kids? We'll have an hour call, just go 
over. This is what I'm noticing. You know, he's more on his phone more. She's gets upset easily. Like these are the conversations I've had. What conversations have you had? So just, just to make sure each parent's on the same page and the kids aren't pulling the wool over anyone's eyes because kids are smart. They're so smart. So, cause that's well established. It's been nine years now, but when they were younger, there was a few instances of me getting the feeling that I wasn't being told what they're telling their mom and then, and messaging her or calling her to talk about it and realize now, nah, you know what, mama said this. So, and knowing that ahead of time, mm-hmm. leading, leading with integrity in that realm is is how i see it is to take the higher road because it all comes back to you if if that's one message i could get across to every dad is that when you take the higher road when you're honorable when you lead and just do without expecting anything from the other party it will come back to you it may not come back in a year or two or three but it will definitely come back in spades with your kids because kids do absorb all this and down the road, they will see which parents stepped up more and always had their back and did it with, with grace and honor. That's actually really, really good advice. Maybe you could help out our listeners. They're at the beginning stages of this where the anger is still there, the distrust. And if they're, hopefully none of them end up like me, but the distrust never goes away. And it was just always issues. How can they start, Mm. assuming they don't have a partner who wants them in this kid's lives? Who does not want them? Oh, it's hard. (laughs) That's just a really hard and shitty situation where your kids are held from you. Like that, that breaks my heart. And I'm so grateful I didn't have to go through that. Oh, I, my heart goes out to those guys. And I've, I've got friends in that situation and, and whether it's alienation or just holding them back or, or painting a negative picture of that parent. The ultimate thing is you need to start from a place of acceptance. That's you cannot, cannot cross the start line until you accept your situation. And that doesn't come easily. But you can do it in moment to moment through different mindfulness exercises. So positive intelligence or mindfulness exercises. And that's the repetition that helps the neuroplasticity in your brain change. So you have less of that negative emotion. You have less of that cortisol surge and decreases the symptoms of anxiety and depression. And my course, The Decent Divorce Dad, it's broken down in three modules. And the first module is all about establishing that baseline and accepting your situation. And a big part of the effort in that course is, is getting there because that, that has to happen before anything else. And what I'd encourage to, to your listeners, Chuck, is to look up different ways to calm your autonomic nervous system. And there's excellent breathing techniques. I've been doing this for years from my mid 20s, early 20s, since I first started pursuing cognitive behavioral therapy at first. And most recently, I just finished a course on positive intelligence. And it's, it's as if it's, it's something I just can't conquer or can't master. You think with all this education, learning and coaching therapy that I pursued, I'd be you know calm and it's, you know, childhood trauma, your experiences and how it all layers and stacks really is a hard challenge. So I, my favorites are box breathing. Same. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'd encourage people to look up box breathing. And I recommend that because it's simple. 
you count it at the shortest time. If you go from four seconds to eight seconds, and you'll understand when you look up box breathing. I don't want to explain it because I really want people to look it up because when you look it up, you it'll stick with you more. Mm-hmm. That gives you two minutes. That's that's a really good amount of time to calm your nervous system and to get you back. And what happens is you're able to start using your frontal lobe for healthier decision making because when you're making better decisions. It serves everyone. It serves you. It serves your child's mother and it serves your children. It serves everyone around you. When you're not in that mode, when you're in that anxious, fearful state, because it's all fear, all our emotions are broken down to either it's fear-based or it's love-based. And when we're dealing with our amygdala, which is our animal brain, it's all survival. And then the further benefits are decrease in inflammation. The minute you're able to get out of that state, your body starts getting into that rest and digest because you're almost stuck in fight or flight. You'll just get really sick like I did over the years with all different autoimmune diseases. I've had to fight and am fighting and it's all self-inflicted. It's all my damn thought. Mm -hmm. And so to everyone out there, that's it. Just focus on how you can accept your situation. Get the help, get the support. If you've got good friends that you admire, respect, and see that they've got that healthy relationship with their baby mama, with their kids, use them because that's a free alternative and really just that connection and venting is healthy. But more importantly, get seek out the therapy, the social worker, the coach. That's fundamental. Why should anyone sit in that pain for any longer than they need to. It's not fun. It doesn't serve anyone. And it's so damaging to your health. Yeah. I know that my longevity has been severely shortened, severely shortened. And I won't be around for my kids and all the work I'm doing and possibly able to do in those years if I had more of them. So yes, please, guys, please work on that acceptance and work on just calming your nervous system in the moment. Box breathing. So funny you say box breathing because I swear by it. If you've ever had to interview anybody, which you have, I have, it's an art. And as you're learning the art, as I'm relatively new to this, as my guest speaks, I box breathe so I can calm down and listen to what they're saying and try to focus on the next question and not have my head all rattled around. Like, what was I going to ask before? What's he talking about now? Is the microphone working? So I love box breathing. That's good. And if you mentioned sports at the beginning, a lot of athletes and the coaches do heart rate variability. It all comes down to breathing again and mindfulness. There's this doctor, uh, I've forgotten her name, but something that she helps some NBA teams with. And it's this breathe in for six seconds, or sorry, breathe in for four, four and a half, out for six or so. And you do this for 15 minutes every morning and evening. And it's meditation. That's exactly what it is. Because of the science behind it and it's being used by major league teams, it's, it gets more attention. Absolutely. But heart rate variability and being able to switch in and out of that stress response faster. Mindfulness. I don't want to get complicated and get into, you should meditate, you should gratitude journal, which you should, but just start. The starting point is box breathing and fixing yourself in the moment. And I don't know if a study has been done on this, but when you talk to every, I'm going to say, almost every, because nothing's ever 100%. Divorce guy, when it's everything said and done, our brains go to mush. I noticed you said something in one of your social media platforms about mm-hmm. heart disease, which I now have, uh, depression, cancer risks, all increase with divorce deaths. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah. you know, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I just read <laughs> a lot and lived through this 
there's a lot of moving pieces in our bodies that bring us to that. And the your brain goes to mush because of the cognitive stress, the cognitive load you've got. So just as a, a practical example of somebody who was the breadwinner is out working, commuting, out in the garden, fixing things, maintaining the house and getting time with the boys when he can isn't generally the one who's doing the laundry, meeting with the school teachers, buying the kids' clothes, packing their lunches, and knowing which doctor they go to when. When you have to take all that on, deal with your job, deal with the stresses, with the the fight, let alone the process of a new place, setting up your billing and account, getting a babysitter, learning when your kids this and that is the increase to your cognitive load decreases your ability to think clearly. That creates stress. That creates all these other psychological challenges. And then you get the physiological challenges. So you have increased cortisol. You're, there's more stress on your organs, on your heart, especially on your whole, your whole body. So you start affecting your gut flora. So now the microbiome in your body is shifting. And it's a second gut for a reason. So the signaling there's this nerve that goes down into your gut and connects to the different layers of your intestinal wall, connects to all your organs. It's the vagus nerve. And so this signal is affected by now the stress that's destroying the healthy gut flora. So the healthy bacteria is dying off and poor nutrition. You're stressed. You're not eating well. That comfort food of burgers, that extra beer or whiskey, whatever, is all making that even worse and feeding the bad bacteria to grow, which then increases more inflammation. So it's just this horrible chicken and egg cycle. And that leads to disease, inflammation, cancer, all, all, it's all inflammatory processes that lead to this. And the signaling to your brain is affected too. So now you're thinking even less clearly. Yeah, It's this horrible cycle. So it's... And I know all this is because I've lived through it. I've studied it in depth so I could avoid the meds that I was being told I needed to go on to stop what was happening in my body. And as of this spring, I'm officially not medicated on any pharmaceuticals. Nice. And I've come a long way, but I've got different tricks now right behind my desk, a blood pressure machine where I measure my blood pressure regularly. I don't have an aura ring or anything to monitor. Mm -hmm. I just don't like things tied onto me in case it snag. Same construction. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yep. yeah. And so I'm onto this new thing, which I think is working the best is I just do a bunch of body weight squats and push-ups throughout the days. So in between meetings, I'll get down and pump off a bunch of push-ups. I'm brushing my teeth. I'm doing bodyweight squats. And I try to do about eight to 12 sets of these over the day. And that's oh, wow. And that's a new thing only from the spring. And that's really controlling that cortisol release and my anxiety. So I just, I get the healthy hormones pumping through my body instead of the bad ones. So it's very effectively counteracting this negative energy in my body and the negative effects of all the things that my body wants to shoot out because that lion on the, the savannah is coming at me. Now you're not scheduling the push-ups, the, the squats, it's just when you have that moment in the day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it just builds into my day. If something's being microwaved, I'm doing a bunch of squats before this call. I got down and pumped off a few squat while I'm brushing my teeth before I put on clothes. I do a bunch of push-ups. And so it just I tried scheduling it. The more structure I try to build in, it doesn't work. So then I just made a target checklist, like try to get so many done in a day. Did I do it? I did it. Nope. I did some. Cool. Can I do more tomorrow? And so just try to build up on the trend. 
because I did get overly obsessive. Now, what I do as a management consultant, it's to me, if it's not measured, it's not monitored. So measurement does drive behavior. And so I try to drive that for myself, but it became almost stressful and, and I viewed it as a failure. So now I have a couple of whiteboards in my office. One's my strategy board, one's my day-to-day board. So I kind of just have my targets there until it becomes habit. And then I wipe that off and it's replaced with something new. And so that's how I build habits. Pick something for a couple of months, put it up in front of my face. I write it on my bathroom mirror. I write it next to my head in my office on post-its to just brainwash myself. And once it's adopted and I realize the benefits from it, then it's routine and it's wired in and then I can upgrade to the next one. People quit early on in any stage of anything. What advice would you give somebody in the beginning stages of this process so they don't quit within day one, two, or three? That's a really good question because it's about how to overcome it. And we're all incentive-based, right? The stick doesn't work. You need the carrot. Tony Robbins has something that he calls the Dickens process, where you just sit with, okay, I smoke. If I smoke forever, how does that look like? You know, I'm sick. I have a shorter life. I'm not around for my kids. I have less money. So it's a very effective exercise. But if you turn it around and say, okay, instead of eight cigarettes today, I'm going to go for six. So I've dropped down two cigarettes and instead I'm going to do 25 push-ups or 10, if you can only do 10 or even five, just pick a starting point where you need to replace it. You can't stop anything unless you substitute it. And so I say, find a substitute, but then also map out what you're saving. Okay. So say, Hey, if I do this for two months, I'm going to save probably around $80. Then I can go get myself that whatever, the new pair of shoes that I wanted, reward yourself, set that target, set a date, and just keep incrementally going towards it. Don't pick too many things at once. Pick one thing at a time. Just get a win, especially for the guys at the beginning, Chuck. As you know, it's so demoralizing. You lose so much hope. You want those little wins just to have a reason to feel good about yourself, especially when you're being told you're a piece of shit by your ex. People are giving you dirty looks. You don't know what people are saying behind closed doors. And I find in separations and divorce, the stigma or the behind the doors talks is, oh, she cheated on him. He wasn't giving her enough attention. He was cheating on her. He's a dirtbag. <laughs> right. And cheating's a symptom. Can everyone just stop looking at cheating as that end-all, be-all crime? That relationship just didn't come to be at a point where one of them decided or needed to cheat. There are so many factors. So when you've got the world just looking down at you, because no one gives a damn about divorce deaths. They, they just don't. So yeah, getting that win, and that win is just doing something that benefits yourself, taking the smallest step every day without trying to do too many. Just pick one and then have a reward for what that benefit is. And the beautiful thing about, say, fitness, it's not those positive hormones, but it's when you look at yourself in the mirror and you take a double look and it's like, huh, I feel good. That's where it starts. Mm-hmm. That's where it starts. And every other thing that you do that stacks on that will make you feel better. And I'm not telling people to look out for it, to go for those outward rewards, right? Where don't look for that approval or that wink and smile from that gorgeous woman. You need to find that in yourself. So it's a stop and look at yourself in the mirror and give yourself a wink and smile at yourself and be like, damn, I look good. You know what? Those pushups are starting to pay off. I like that. All right, let's, you know what, let's spitball here because I like this. All right, getting back in shape, 
right? Doing something for yourself, you're feeling good. That's awesome. Everybody we talk to says you need to do that. I was never, I like sports, but I'm not a big guy. And my body breaks down quickly. Five wins. What are five things we could have our guys do? Right now, somebody's listening to this. Their world is just shattered. They have no idea. Give me a fucking win, Chuck. What do I do to get a win? Yeah. Go for a walk. Go for a 30-minute walk every day and be happy with four or five times in a week. Aim for seven walks a day because just the the mental and physical payoff you get from walking 30 minutes a day and, and ideally to a point where it's brisk. But even if it's just a, you know, a wander around, you're listening to a podcast and you stop to pick roses or smell flowers, that's cool. That's a win. Just do that. So that's one. Two, connect. Connect. Have healthy conversations with people. Have a half an hour coffee with a neighbor. Have that talk with an old coworker. Connect. Have the positive connections. Three, eat one extra fruit or vegetable a day. Okay. What I do, I've got a routine of where I just blend shit up. I've got a set recipe for a smoothie. It's got hemp hearts, flaxseed, banana, apple, carrot, and some frozen berries. Make a pile of that. The kids each get a glass. I get a glass. The rest of it goes in a jar. And if there's enough for the next day, when I'm alone, I just Same. have enough. That That's me. That keeps me regular. That, yeah. So good. It's simple because I'm thirsty and I can... You don't have to chew it. Just goes down. So we've got walk. Okay, what did I say? The walk. We've got the connection. We've got the nutrition. Nature. Nature is, and everything I talk about is, is science backed, and it's not one study that's been repeated twenty times of the same study by all these different right. sources. It's it's multiple studies over the last usually fifteen years. I don't go further back than fifteen years, and they're usually double-blind, non-sponsored studies from multiple sources. So get out in nature. I mean, non-biased. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Non-biased. Get out in nature. And if that means sitting by the riverbed and just watching things go by, and ideally without your device or with your device turned off, take in nature, take in the sounds, take in the smells, but just being in nature is naturally healing. So there's no work to be done. And then there's the, actually, I've got six. That works. These are what I've established as the foundation for peace and happiness in what I've realized. And as I've taken things out of my life, because I'm like, oh, I don't have time for this. I'm going to cut this out. I've suffered. Nature, creation. You need to create in some way. If that's paper airplanes, if that's cooking, if that's music, if that's, and it doesn't even necessarily be composing music, but if you're improving at a piece that you're learning on your guitar, piano, flute, or those annoying plastic flutes that kids had to play in school that I want to smash when I hear. The recorders, my kids have them now. Yes, thank yeah. you. I can't stand that, that and bagpipes. I used- Getting woken up in the army to bagpipes, playing Star Wars, and a metal garbage can being hit with a pickaxe handle. I'm not a morning person. That's the worst sound ever. So create something. Spend time feeding your soul. And and even if, if you don't do that, just sit with your eyes closed and listen to good music. No, I love that. I love that a lot. I'll assume you meant with walking, that's try for seven times a week, not a day. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> seven times a week. I didn't even catch that. Because everybody just everybody just logged off right there. Seven times a day, <laughs> click. <laughs> yeah, this guy's on crack. No, yeah. If you can get morning sun, 
in your eyes. Sunglasses off, morning sun sets a circadian rhythm and has other benefits in your body that get your body to release different hormones and start working in other ways. So also really important. So, okay, I think I lost count there. We, we had the, the fitness piece. We had the nutrition. Oh, yeah, sleep. Sleep without drugs or alcohol. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't help. Yeah. The, your body metabolizing alcohol doesn't get you deep sleep. That's a myth. Ideally, if you can, doing box breathing right before bed helps you calm down and get into that deep sleep. I've been a horrible sleeper my entire life. And again, only since this spring Same. have I been able to to get sleep and I start prioritizing sleep. The variable for everything I've done has always been, if I don't get it down, I just won't sleep. I'll just compress everything more into the day and sleep will be sacrificed. So I've increased sleep. I think that's been the game changer for me to be able to get off my meds. But the reason why I neglected sleep as well is because I never got restful sleep. And again, with a lot of research, I've been playing with I love my, my doctor. I just go in and say, this is studies I'm following. This is what I'm trying to cure. These are the results I'm expecting to achieve. Can you just track these levels on my blood test? So I've got a very, very good physician that supports me in, in what I'm doing. And I've narrowed down to like a couple of supplements that we lack because of our current agricultural processes where our soil lacks certain minerals, therefore our body lacks it. And the number one thing we miss is... If we get outside, you get more vitamin D. You can take supplements for that as well. Ideally, get outside, but magnesium. Guys, we, we need more magnesium. That's. Did you talk to my wife before this? No. Did you talk to my wife before this bloody thing? No. <laughs> we just had that conversation too. She's getting me a magnesium. I have sleep apnea. Okay. And I don't sleep. I used to be a two pot of coffee a day guy until about two months ago, where I switched to a mushroom tea, I call it. just It's, it's actually not bad. Okay. And I guess I'm sleeping a little better. Wow. Good for you. But she wants me to start taking magnesium to help my sleep. Yeah. And uh, for atherosclerosis, which is the hardening of your arteries, if you have heart disease, there's an interesting link with vitamin D and magnesium. So if you up your vitamin D intake, it will decrease your cholesterol and has some other benefits. So something to look into if you're curious, or we could talk more offline on Yeah. But magnesium, 100%, that should be just as a starting point. I don't want to get people messaging you or me saying, ah, you poisoned my, my partner Re-listen to the disclaimer in, in the beginning of the show, folks. He's not a doctor. He's not a lawyer. <laughs> That's right. All right. So I am absolutely not this guy. I literally eat just to survive. I have taste. I have smell. I know what good food tastes like. I, I just, I could eat MREs and be happy. You, are you a foodie? I'm actually writing a cookbook. I just, I like simplifying things to get the maximum return for the minimum. So I've got a 14-day grocery meal planning strategy for half the time I have my kids, half the time I don't. So my kids don't get sandwiches. I make double the amounts for supper so that they can take that as leftovers. And I have that for leftovers, but I eat a gluten-free diet unless I'm on the road. I love everything deep fried and all. I love fast food. So at home though, I eat very well and very nutritious, very tasty as well. So the cookbook I'm writing Boil it down to two 14-day menus for spring and summer and then fall and winter, another separate two and two. And it's all based on four sauces. So okay. four, four sauces or mixtures or flavors, and that applies to all your meals. 
as simple as possible and each meal can feed into the next oh wow meaning you get a pot roast you cut into steaks leftover steaks become steak salad or fajitas and not spend more than say 45 minutes making prepping a meal and eating extremely tasty nutritious food so yeah i'm a foodie yeah yeah i noticed a lot of your post had it and i was like all right i should let the missus see this. My wife loves to cook, so it's great. It's a match made in heaven there. She loves it. That's I hate it. Lucky you. <laughs> yeah, you're lucky. I although you know, I, I do miss having someone cook for me. Uh, yeah. It's a pleasure though to be able to see my kids enjoy the food because they I know they appreciate it, especially that they have something to compare it to at their mom's mm-hmm. to then be able to eat better or different food here. Not that she's not a good cook. I just know I'm with you. I know I'm better and I'm I'm willing to put that out there. We didn't have a lot of money when we got divorced, but I made sure it wasn't, you know, boxes of cereal for dinner at night with, with little time I was able to spend with them when they were younger. Right. And they're older now, right? Yeah. Talk about the benefits of feeding kids. And I definitely think guys will take the shortcuts because I know I, I've taken shortcuts when feeding kids, especially time's short, money's short. Um, money's really short. Time's usually really cut yeah. short. If you have your daddy dinner night, like I had my two hours during the week to actually feed them, get them to do their homework and bring them back to Manhattan. Right. Which, which was right. ridiculous. Wow. That's oh, the court system doesn't give a shit about anybody, <laughs> especially not the kids. You're picking them up at five o'clock. You're taking them to a restaurant, feeding them and then getting them back to their mom's place. Oh, that's, yeah, that's stress. That's, yeah. uh, it's just not fun. Yeah. When they're young, man, the memories of just trying to get, come back from work, get them from after school care on time, the stress of missing out because you get fired out of that. And no one during my time at least there's no one that babysat kids every other week right but then getting them home feeding them showering them doing their homework and trying to have some proper hangout time with them was just so compressed but then you had your you know again we're talking about silver linings i had that time to myself in the evenings now my kids are up as long as i am and i don't get anything done when they're here yes because I, I haven't managed my own expectations being a grown-up's hard. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. This circles back around to the first thing that caught my attention with you is reclaim your life. And you're right. I used to really enjoy, and I tell everybody, have fun on your non-daddy weekends. Have yes. a lot of fun on your non-daddy weekends. If you yes. know Go meet somebody. Have even more fun on your non-daddy weekends. Yes. You come home and you're coming home to a house where you can have fun in the living room and the oh, kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, I can. You know what? I, I do have to admit that a woman makes a house a home. I, I know I, I could live with a lawn chair and yeah, that's it. I could just Same. live with a lawn chair and an air mattress. I'm really basic. The beautiful benefits of being able to parent your kids the way you want to parent them without anyone interjecting saying, well, I don't know. Don't you think that's a little harsh or no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go camping. I don't want to all these no, no, no's because as a single parent, you get to just go out on the adventures that you want. I get to watch whatever I want on TV. I get to listen to whatever music I want. I get to make whatever food I want. I get a whole bed to myself. I get to leave the toilet seat up if I want. It's really nice. Not to say that I wouldn't mind sharing a future with somebody at some point if I met that right person. But learning to be happy with yourself and reclaiming your life to what you want, because a romantic partnership isn't 50-50. It's 100 and 100. Mm-hmm. You have to be 100% of the person that you should be, could be, want to be. Anyone coming into your life needs to complement it, not fill any gaps or voids. They, so reclaiming it is 
you have to hit the bottom though. You have to be at that state where you want to change. And it starts with acceptance and then building up what you want because what was is dead. It's gone. It's done. It's not coming back. Even if at some point the two of you reconnect because you want to fight with her, you're two different people. And I tell you, for the guys out there that want to go back, she better have changed because mostly 70% and greater of marriages in the Western world are ended by women. And what happens in those cases is that they're pointing fingers, they're unhappy and take two to three years to mourn and then walk away. And guys in those situations usually get hit hard and have that incentive to either just stay in that hole or to find a way to dig themselves out and improve and to find the tools and find the things that make them happy and create the life that they want. So create that life. Appreciate that you have options, you have opportunities. And this is the greatest silver lining is that gray wolf is very, very sexy to women of all ages. Men hitting 40 and above, man, this is your golden era. The older you get, you grow more wealth, you can be fit, you can look good, feel good and have that independence. And women of all ages will be attracted to you. Women, on the other hand, don't have that luxury. And I'd love for men to just take a moment to appreciate that and that it's not all downhill from here, it's only uphill and reclaiming that power and that that potential and stepping into it and just fucking owning the the human that you are and the dad that you can be and grow, 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 grow. You have to grow through what you go through. If you don't grow through it, you suffer. If you grow through it, you prosper. That is awesome advice. Awesome. To wrap up, where can we find you? Where can the people out there find you? You can find me at, you can find me on YouTube, Decent Divorced Dads on YouTube. Ottawa Hinnish, so O-T-T-A-W-A, capital of Canada, and one word Hinnish, H-I-N-E-S-H. That's my handle across social media. Okay. I'm just working on my website, which is decentdivorcedads.com, which will be out in a few weeks. But there's also, I don't tend to push this, and maybe I should start doing it, is my course. So if you go... You go to decentdivorcedads.ca, I'll take you to the video sales letter, the landing page to my course. And then you can book a call with me and get started on that future that you can own. And why waste time? Find the help that you need and and get the tools to just live a kick-ass life. Excellent video. And I highly recommend people to reach out to you because you have some great advice. I don't know where I heard you say this, but I am a bring home flowers kind of guy, but they don't want flowers every day. They want someone who uh, do the dishes, not only fold the laundry, but put it away. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck, for, for sharing that. And I'm, I'm flattered that you've gone through so much of my material and retained so much and, and I'm sharing it and invited me on your podcast because it's for us to give men more hope. I think it, it is so meaningful and we could have so many more conversations around love languages, around that, what you said, the flowers versus doing the dishes. And again, it's all things I talk about in my course because it's there's simple tricks that just demystifies everything. Like why yeah. when someone else has figured this out for you and why try to figure it out and have the conflict within yourself or with others? Well, Hanish, it was 
amazing speaking with you. And I highly recommend decentdivorcedads.ca is the one I know. And send me links and I'll put all the links to everything we talked about in the show notes today. So anybody who wants to log, they can just click on one-stop shop and find you. Beautiful. Thank you. Brother, we will definitely do this again, but thank you very much for coming on the show today. Likewise. Thanks for having me. This was great. Thanks, Chuck. We must get our voices out there. Send us your stories to Why Daddy Never Cries at Gmail or Why Daddy Never Cries on Facebook. Remember, this is a daily and sometimes hourly struggle. So follow us on Daddy Never Cries at Twitter and Why Daddy Never Cries on Instagram and let your voice be heard. Let's end the fatherless children's syndrome that's plaguing this world. You can't change what happened to you, brothers. So figure out how to make it work for you and your children. When life gave me lemons, I said to hell with a glass. I'm making an international lemonade franchise. So until next time, take a deep breath. You've got this, Daddy.